Hello, and thank you for listening to the Teaching Math Teaching Podcast. The Teaching Math Teaching Podcast is sponsored by the Association of Mathematics Teacher Educators, a community of math teacher educators learning to teach math teachers better. I'm your co-host, Jennifer Wolf, and joining me is co-host Dusty Jones. Hey, Dusty. Hi, Jen. And co-host Joel Amadon. Hey, Joel. Hey, Jen. So today we're talking with Cindy Jong. Cindy is an associate professor of mathematics education at the University of Kentucky. Her research applies the constructs of affect and professional noticing in mathematics to understand how elementary teachers position themselves in relation to contexts and experiences that might influence classroom practices. Social justice and equity are central to her research in mathematics teacher education. She has served as chair of the steering committee for PMENA and has a program chair or co-chair for AERA Division K Section 1. We're talking with Cindy today so that she may share some of her experiences in math teacher education and her work on the mathematical intersections of noticing and equity. Welcome, Cindy. How are you? Hey, doing well, hanging in there like a lot of us. But like a lot of us. <laughs> great to connect with all of you. Looking yeah, forward. To so good to have you here today. So can you take a minute to introduce yourself beyond what I already shared? Like, what did we miss? Sure. Um, a few things I want to add. Um, like to mention that I'm in a STEM education department at UK. Um, even though you know our, I live within the math ed field, I've appreciated the opportunities to expand beyond you know math ed. Um, and I teach a grad course on equity in STEM ed, um, and I always enjoy kind of again reading out beyond you know um, our area. Um, I coach our elementary ed program, so that's kind of where I live a lot you know, in terms of. <laughs> that world. Um, and I also uh, just wanted to share that I'm a Latina, Asian American and first gen uh, in terms of, you know, being born here, but also uh, to attend college, my family. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you uh, for sharing that. Um, so how did you start teaching math teachers? Like what got you into it? Mm -hmm. So um, as an undergrad, Jeff Shi at UNLV was my math methods professor. Um, and back in the days, you know, I, I just loved having him, him as an instructor. Um, and I thought I want to be, you know, Jeff when I grow up. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> and I always love the problem solving aspects of math, um, but not necessarily the way it was taught, you know, as many of us have experienced. Um, and then when I taught at the elementary level, I saw that there was just a need for teachers to kind of build their confidence and, you know, be just more excited about teaching math um, to, to young students. So I just became passionate about wanting to, um, you know, like a, a lot of us kind of have that broader impact, um, you know, it's teaching future teachers who will go out, you know, every year and teach all the kiddos every year. Nice. Like on a personal note between Jeff, she and Cindy, like if you all ever need master chef recommendations or anywhere to eat in any city that we have an AMT conference in, those are the, those are my people to go to. <laughs> they will never <laughs> fail nice. you, never fail you. So, I mean, that's kind of another reason to get into teaching math teachers. Why not? <laughs> Good restaurants. So. <laughs> mm -hmm. So what's the best advice you received when you started teaching math teachers, Cindy? It's funny. I was thinking back. I, I can't think of an exact 
piece of advice. Um, but I remember again as an undergrad, so um, you know, I was quite young, over 20 years ago now, um, at UNLV, seeing a quote that was in like our course um that left an impression. It's a popular, I think a Confucius quote of, you know, I hear and I forget, I see and I remember, I do and I understand. Um, so that kind of made an impact on me as a teacher. And then, um, you know, as a teacher, um, teacher candidates, I think of that as well in terms of making sure I provide experiences that are really meaningful and worthwhile. Um, and then I think over the years, I've kind of adopted a mantra, just the less is more mantra. You know, all of us talk about just how, lim you know, what limited time we have in our methods courses. Um, so I think just being very clear on um, my priorities um, is important to, you know, because there's only so much time. <laughs> so emphasizing kind of, you know, what really matters, um, I think is is important. So I'm not trying to, you know, shove too much in in a course. That's That's so important, right? Like to think about a lot of the time you may only have your teacher candidates with you for the 16 weeks, maybe, right? And so to really think about what are what are the things that are just critical for um, future teachers to really learn, right? And kind of just um, centering and thinking about prioritizing to meet their needs, right? And what we need in, in our school systems. So here's kind of a quite like just question, like if you had to pick like one word, Cindy, that kind of summed up like, you know, this is kind of my center when I think about engaging with future teachers, because, you know, we have to sift through like, what are we going to prioritize? Like, I'm just wondering, like, do you have like a word, like a focus word that comes to mind when you think about doing that work? Yeah, the word that comes to mind is uh, connections. So I mm. think of that a lot of ways. So, you know, the relational human connections, um, the connections like to mathematics, being explicit about, you know, just how mathematics operates in the world. Um, and then, you know, of course, cultural connections, you know, um, I just think of how powerful it is to just see math in a connected way mm -hmm. as well. Yeah, not only seeing how math is connected, but how are we connected to one another, right? And mm -hmm. in, in building those relationships in that work. Mm -hmm. So what kind of advice would you give to someone else who's uh, starting out in this role and working with uh, math teachers? Um, I think I go back to that connection, you know. Um, so a, a related quote back to, you know, the earlier one I mentioned is uh, one by Maya Angelou that says, you know, I've learned that people will forget what you said. People will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. Um, and as I've kind of moved closer to, um, integrating more rehumanizing mathematics, um, kind of principles in my courses, um, I think it's just important to make those connect to, for me as a, you know, math teacher educator to also rehumanize mathematics experiences for, my teacher candidates who um, 
you know, all have a variety of experiences, um, you know, a lot of um, really great ones to build upon, um, but some that, you know, kind of need to be reframed um, and reflected on and thought through uh, as well. Yeah, I, I really love that that quote, man. It's a pretty powerful quote because I think about the experiences like when we go to conferences or we're out in schools and where you see presentations, like you may not always remember like certain ideas, but you might remember the ideas that like you connect with or you remember how that presenter or teacher or someone made you feel in the space, right? Mm -hmm. And you kind of hold that feeling with you and hopefully like kind of pay it forward as you move through whatever um, your path is, is going. Yeah, one, um, I'm sure you all have seen it, but one clip by play from the U-Cubed website on rethinking giftedness. Mm, yeah, yeah. Um, that's actually integrated into these, you know, modules uh, we can discuss later, but on the topic of kind of ex expanding students' notions of like smartness in math and whatnot, but um, every one of my teacher candidates has a story related to, you know, the the idea of being gifted or waiting for, you know, or taking a test, waiting to see if they're a part of it or having a sibling who is notified that they're going to be part of the gifted program, but they weren't part of it. You know, there's always some kind of connection to that um, and a story that they're wanting and willing to share. Um, Cindy, I have a question. So you uh, you mentioned you had a quote from Maya Angelou and you mm -hmm. talked about the influence of Jeff. And I'm just, uh, and then Gen 3, the, the single word question also too. And I'm just curious about like another question that kind of was like at kind of the center of all that stuff. It would be like a resource. Like, you know, sometimes like you either get recommended something or someone hands you a book and it's like, whoa, that kind of changed my perspective on how I think about teaching or how I think about math teaching, either one that you received or one that you would point to to be like, hey, if you kind of want to get at this idea of either, you know, talking about the connections or talking about like how you see math education, is there anything that you would either point to as something that you received or something that you would give? It'd be like, hey, if you want to understand kind of the central tenets of this, check this out. Just curious. Oh, good point. Um, good question. Um, I don't know if there's one central one, uh, but a podcast I love for my students to listen to. Um, it's an interview Rochelle does, I could look it up, uh, Rochelle Gutierrez does on rehumanizing mathematics. Mm -hmm. um, that kind of is a good introduction for students kind of thinking beyond kind of the binary in mathematics as you know I'm a math person or not a math person right. not, and kind of um, just returning back to ways that we innately are connected mm -hmm. to mathematics or thinking mathematics in ways we may it may not be very explicit so awesome. I can cool I think we can link to that as well might be on abolitionist education right. let's look that up awesome Thank you. Hmm? So Cindy, 
you and I have had a lot of conversations about this, but I wanted, I wanted you to kind of share out with our audience, like, how do you set boundaries and priorities to get the right things done and still enjoy your life? But um, I think over the years, I've tried to be a lot more intentional about what I say yes to, because with every yes you know, there's a no to other things. Um, so being a lot clearer again with my priorities and, um, you know, with kind of equity being the huge lens that kind of is a driving force in all my work. You know, I try to say yes to, um, you know, service that aligns with those goals and priorities. Um, whether it's, you know, university-wide, college-wide, or, you know, national service, um, I try to use that as a filter of, you know, will saying yes advance, like, the work to promote, you know, more equitable um, spaces, and, uh, you know, not necessarily in math ed, but in, um, you know, various contexts um, that I'm involved in. I think that, yeah, that's, um, thanks for sharing that, Cindy. I wonder as, um, as a mother scholar, are there ways that you've had to set boundaries and priorities so that you can still enjoy your life with, uh, with you and your family? Yeah, for sure. Um, I usually try to, um, put the phone away (laughs) in the kind of that early evening block where, you know, the kids are back from school um, and then, you know, dinner time and all that to be um, a bit more, you know, present with them. It, it's, it's difficult when, you know, you're constantly pulled um, in multiple ways. Um, so, and not that I'm saying I'm great at that, <laughs> But I'm working toward, uh, you know, when it's like the daytime and I have, you know, my work time to try to just be focused on, you know, some clear tasks. And then in the early evening, trying to, you know, ignore texts or um, I usually I'll try to um, do another kind of check and glance of email sometime in the later evening. But then I've been. I think better about unplugging also, um, you know, or later in the evening as well. And I tell my students that they'll hear from me first thing in the morning, I'm up early, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but you know, that, um, you know, usually after around eight 30, I try to unplug from, from tech and work stuff. Unless I, I think that's I super have, helpful. Yeah, unless I really have, you know, some a major deadline coming up. So, and, yeah. and I like the way that you communicate that with your students. Like, here's when, like, I want to, I'm speaking now on behalf of myself as Dusty Jones. I want to be available to my students, but I also want them to know that I'm a human and I have other relational needs and, and just physical needs like rest and sleep. And so where my students might have a problem at 1 a.m. I I've been asleep for three hours by then. So. um. (laughs) Yes, easily. Yeah. And I think, you know, you mentioned rest and I'm telling myself, you know, rest is productive. It's important for us to just recharge and um, makes time, you know, for the different 
pieces that are important, you know, our, our different uh, goals and different parts of our lives. Yeah, that really sticks with me because now I'm wondering, like, when I have my phone, like, should I just physically go put my phone in another room? Right? Like, just put it in another room, then go outside, take a walk, do something else, you know, just to be very cognizant of, like, a hard boundary or, like, maybe not even another room. Maybe just turn it off. Mm -hmm. Just completely turn it off so there's no Turn it off, Jen. Oh, my gosh. I know. I I usually have it on silent, but turning it off is a whole other level. Like an anxiety that comes with that. I guess there would be like, I, now that I think about it, like I feel really weird when I have to reboot my phone, right? And it goes off and it's like, oh, what am I going to miss? And then I have to unpack like, why are you anxious about that? You just turn it on. You won't turn it right back on. Mm-hmm. But I think like when, maybe a, when the, a student has something with their computer that hasn't been working or something like, I can't get it to work. I'm like, when's the last time you turned this thing off? And they're like, August. I'm like, <laughs> 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 I'll try rebooting that thing, you know? Right, 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 right. Um, but I do like, I, like Dusty was saying that, um, you're very transparent about like why you're doing what you're doing. I think in math teacher education, it would be really good if like students could hear more of like why we make the decisions that we make. And then we have Mm -hmm. a conversation if there needs to be some kind of negotiation, but yeah, I think it's a way to kind of like, look, I'm a human. I have needs in some cases, you know, your professors are, you know, they're, they're scholars, but they're also, they have family, right. And other obligations and things too. So. Yeah. And and so the funny thing is that I do preface kind of that boundary by saying that, you know, much to like students, um, you know, satisfaction. I am one of these like inbox zero persons, (laughs) but, you know, I try to kind of block off the times and, you know, saying that, you know, when I do see emails from students in particular, that is my priority knowing that, you know, um, it's important to respond in a timely manner, but um, all in appropriate, you know, times as well. I wonder if that could be a whole podcast in itself. Because, like, I'm that way, too, with the whole inbox zero, that when I see other folks that don't have the inbox zero, and you see, like, 9,127 unanswered, unread emails, I'm just like, how do you do that? <laughs> so then I'm like, oh, yeah, that's that's for another time to unpack. So. <laughs> Yeah, makes me anxious. (laughs) (laughs) So, Cindy, could you um, take some time to talk about your work on the mathematical intersections of noticing and equity, your your MIND project, that grant that you have? Yes, uh, definitely. And I want to just say that it's a collaborative collaborative grant, um, mostly with folks at UK with uh, Jonathan Thomas and Molly Fisher, and we have an amazing doc student, um, Walker Mask, uh, who has more of a science ed background, um, but they've been uh, fantastic. Um, and Edna Shack, um, who's now a professor emeritus uh, at Moorhead State as well. Um, so yes, at first with the um, mine, so M-I-N-E, it was an M cube, which was micro uh, learning mathematics modules um, that intersect noticing and equity. So the intent was that we'd want to create these shorter modules, about 15 to 20 minutes. Um, and we created eight of them so that they could be easily inserted throughout a semester um, in elementary math methods courses, rather than having this like one kind of equity diversity course you in the intent was you know you include it throughout um the semester so you're constantly returning to 
these same themes, but we specifically used two frameworks. The first was the uh, uh, four dimensions of equity framework um, by Rochelle Gutierrez. So the with the four dimensions being access and achievement, which are part of the dominant um, access, and then identity and power, which are part of the critical axis. Um, and then we use uh, Jacobs, Lamb, and Philip, Philip um, uh, definition of professional noticing for children's mathematical thinking as well, with the three components of attending, interpreting, and deciding. So again, we developed these eight modules and they're designed in such a way that we do, um, you know, for folks who want to use them, we recommend using the introductory module that, um, you know, again, outlines these two frameworks that we use throughout. And then from there, though, folks can select kind of topics based on either um, the equity or pedagogy theme or, you know, maybe a, a content theme as well um, as it fits with you know, their, their course goals. Wonderful. So these modules, um, you've probably adopted and integrated in your own elementary teacher math methods courses? Yes, definitely. So um, our research design um, included a control group, um, a partial implementation group, which meant that folks integrated three or four of the modules and then a full implementation group, which was seven or eight of the modules. And um, so Jonathan and I always did the full implementation. This semester, I'm actually not teaching um, a math methods course, which is a rare semester. Um, but yeah, I love to, you know, integrate them all into um, my methods course. And We've we've kind of dropped uh, dropped the micro learning part of the modules um, because we found that they often extend beyond the twenty minutes. But you know it's up to folks um, to kind of choose how it best fits into their their own you know course outline goals and everything. But we have found them to just be very fruitful in terms of the discussions that that we facilitate. I'm kind of curious with the modules. Are the modules ones so far that um, are have been developed in a way where you really want them done through in-person instruction? Or have there been certain modules where you've done them in a hybrid modality or just strictly online? Or this particular module ends up being something they do as they're doing their field placement? Mm -hmm. And then they come together and have discussions in different ways? Or have you found that, um, like, yeah, the different ways that the modules can be used? Yeah, excellent um, question. So when we um, were awarded this grant, this IUS grant through NSF, um, the first semester of piloting these modules was fall of 2020. <laughs> <laughs> when, you know, most of us were hybrid at best, if not, you know, remote um, with um, a mix of synchronous, asynchronous learning. So we needed to, you know, adapt to make it work for multiple, um, you know, modalities. And while we had pilot data, data from that semester, um, we're not using it as our main kind of 
data for our research. Just, you know, thinking of kind of um, the preferred and more common kind of optimal, optimal learning environments. Uh, so they certainly can be used in a hybrid format. We do recommend that if it is virtual that they're synchronous rather than asynchronous because I think the richness comes with a discussion and you know being able to discuss these important critical topics with others um, you know to, to gain further insights as well. Um, yeah, I don't know if you want me to give an example of some of the modules or topics. Well, there's just something. Yeah, no, I mean, if you would want to share out some of the, some different examples, that would be great. Yeah. Sure. So um, one module that we, um, you know, title like language and mathematics, we include a little clip um, from, there's this movie called Immersion. Um, and there's a clip of, a student who is a multilingual learner in a mathematics classroom. His name is Moises. So you get the viewpoint of Moises in a math classroom. It's about sixth grade level. Um, but you see kind of words jumble up when he's looking at this uh, math preview test. And there's the word problem they're working on is that a student walks, you know, like six blocks and he looks at the base 10 blocks thinking like the literal, you know, version of blocks rather than like blocks that you walk. Um, so it's a really rich clip. It's just like a three minute clip. Um, but in that it really allows us to connect to all the dimensions of equity with access and achievement and how they're related to identity and power. Because um, at the end of that clip, Moises um, walks up to his teacher and then he has a sign that says, need test in Spanish. And the teacher says, no, Moises, you know, you don't need the test in Spanish. It's not a big deal. And he said, he says in Spanish, like, see, and like the, you know, the principal says we all have to take the test, like realizing, you know, that like it is a big um it's very much related to achievement and power in terms of we know how a lot of the schools operate with, um, you know, tracking and based on standardized tests. Um, so it, it's a really powerful clip. And then we have, um, so we have students kind of, you know, reflect on how the clip is related to the various dimensions. We have pauses and within that clip, they have prompts related to professional noticing. So kind of interpreting, um, you know, Moises's mathematical knowledge and kind of, you know, what he has to, the richness, you know, he has to bring in terms of to the, the problem and his perspective. And then we also end um, every module with a, a slide that's called like thinking about language. And I believe for that one, it says when discussing a multilingual learner, another teacher said she doesn't speak English well, but that doesn't matter in math. So quotes like this that are, you know, can be common. We have, um, we also have an instructor guide that goes along with um, each one of the modules because we want it to be very, you know, user-friendly and have resources for folks to use them. Um, 
But we facilitate that thinking about language by asking, you know, what are some assumptions involved in this quote? Um, you know, why are they problematic? And then how can we frame or challenge um, some of this thinking? And a lot of it, you know, is deficit orient oriented thinking. So one of the goals would be to kind of this disrupt this notion of mathematics as a culturally neutral um you know, subject. So that's just one example. Um, and as I'm taking a glance at this Moises um, module, uh, we also start by having, we show the problem in Spanish so that it creates just a teeny bit of disequilibrium for our teacher candidates, mm -hmm. um, you know, and also acknowledging that with Spanish, we're all familiar with the, it's the same alphabet. A lot of folks, you know, um, know some kind of basic Spanish words so they can even kind of piece together um, what it's asking. Um, and so we go into, you know, what if this, uh, you know, problem was in Arabic or, you know, in like kanji, you know, characters and whatnot, thinking about how, again, we take for granted all the background knowledge we have in math and, and, you know, how we, it's all in English for us um, here in this country. So that's just kind of one quick uh, overview of one of the, the modules we have. So you mentioned as part of the modules that you have um, like an instructional guide for those who want to pick up the modules and use them in their courses. Are there other resources that you would recommend for those interested in learning more about um, the MIND project and the modules and the work sure. that you all have done? So we have a website, it is in progress, but it's mathteachernoticing.com. And uh, we have all, uh, so links to, you know, the modules, which are Google Slides that have videos embedded. And then um, there's a link to the, whole instructor guide as well, which has some other articles that could be used um, for some background information. And we include kind of icons of, you know, what types of formats will be included in each of the modules, whether it's kind of like a, and, and these are all kind of suggestions, you know, you can kind of customize it um, as you wish, but, you know, whether you'll have like a think pair share in one part or, you know, there's a video. Um, so of course, you know, it's important to view a clip ahead of time. Um, and then we have just different uh, question prompts to try to facilitate, you know, a rich discussion. And we try to include examples as well. Oftentimes, you know, coming up with examples on the fly can be can be difficult if students, you know, have questions and whatnot, just to provide more ideas. Thanks for sharing that, uh, Cindy. Is there anything that our audience should be like on the lookout for, like some work that you're doing or others are doing or anything that you'd like to kind of give a shout out to put on our radar? Yeah. Um, so hopefully uh, we're hoping to expand, you know, these modules and um, hopefully we'll find out soon. We have a collaborative proposal with folks um, at other institutions to expand and deepen these modules to um, what we found was, you know, the four dimensions of equity are great for our um, students, you know, UK being a PWI and kind of an entry point that allows for a lot of, you know, pathways, um, but we do want to go deeper with 
um, the rehumanizing mathematics framework. Now, folks are interested in, you know, rehumanizing mathematics. I mentioned that podcast, and there's also a PCMI um, workshop that um, Rochelle Gutierrez leads. I think the deadline to participate this summer may have passed, but um, I've participated in that uh, a few years ago, and that was very much, um, you know, a wonderful opportunity um, that, you know, as I think we're always constantly looking for ways to always improve um, in our instruction. And then I just wanted to give a shout out. Um, so Jen and I participated in a, um, a session at AMTE um, about not your model minority, um, which was, you know, a really great session. And it included um, Catherine Ye, who kind of led, led the group and included us along with Carrie Coca and Teddy Chow. But I want to give a shout out to the hashtag Miss Edu and it's Asian. Um, just kind of disrupted again, um, you know, my model minority myth we have with um, Asian American students and just, um, you know, not viewing us as a, monolith, you know, as a, the same group, we all have such different perspectives um, as well. So I think just putting the plug for, for other folks doing, you know, amazing work as well. Thank you so much, Cindy, for sharing your heart work and the collaborative ways that you kind of engage in the work of math teacher education. So thanks for being here and, and just sharing all your ideas. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much for inviting me on. It's great speaking with you all. So thanks again for listening to the Teaching Math Teaching Podcast. If you would like to hear more, please subscribe to the podcast. We hope that you're able to take action on something that you just heard and interact with other math teacher educators. Also, did you know AMTE has another podcast, the Math Teacher Educator Podcast? The MTE podcast accompanies the latest edition of the Math Teacher Educator Journal and has authors discuss the work they have submitted for publication to the journal. Find a link to the MTE podcast in the show notes for this episode.